Everything here at Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneBone, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I've been rocking with OneBone for a little bit now, and there are a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different styles of pants and shorts, to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, the whole collection, I'm in. But it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy, and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms, or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up, was a challenge. But OneBone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants, and everything is made from premium fabrics, with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL, and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. There is a sizing guide on the website that makes it easy to find the absolute right fit. And from flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, OneBone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian. And for me, that's important. As a OneBone ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, Spencer Kite, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you get 15% off your entire order. It is, as I said, a one-time use code. But I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone gear and become part of the One Bone family yourself, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. Go check out Drop 17, which hit the site a couple of days ago, featuring four new colors in the scoop and the V-neck t-shirts, plus the new Outwork pants in military green and black. I've got an order going in this week. You should too. One Bone, for big and all. Greetings and salutations. Welcome, everybody, to Keyboard Kimura. I am E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man, and this is 10 Things That I Like About Noche UFC, which takes place on Saturday at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. This is, as always, presented to you by One Bone. We are going to dive right in. Item number one, a proper immediate rematch. There was a bunch of talk over the weekend after Sean Strickland defeated Israel Adesanya for the middleweight title at UFC 293 in Sydney, Australia, about whether Adesanya should get a immediate rematch. Most people, it seemed, in the media and, and the fan base didn't really want to see it. Dana White came out at his post-event availability and was talking about that fight happening. And it sort of felt in the moment that the conversation that was being had was that Izzy had only won the belt back in April when he defeated Alex Paheya after losing the belt last November. So hadn't even been a year since his first championship loss. 
and had only been a couple of months and it was his first fight since reclaiming the title. So not necessarily a bout where you felt like, hey, we need to run this one back right away. Additionally in there, Sean Strickland dominated the fight, won the fight 49-46 on all, all three scorecards. There were no moments where this felt like it was a fluke or, you know, we didn't have a sudden flash knockout. We didn't have a, somebody made a mistake. Somebody got injured, anything like that. This was clear, concise, no questions, no debate, no discussion. Sean Strickland dominated that fight, won the title. Izzy had only had the belt back since April. Didn't feel like we needed an immediate rematch. This fight on Saturday, however, between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko is 100% what you do when a dominant champion like Valentina Shevchenko loses the title and loses it in the manner that she did. Shevchenko held that belt for 1,547 days. It is the seventh longest championship reign in UFC history. And I would argue you could make a case for it being sixth because Amanda Nunez's featherweight title reign is one of those ones where it feels a little janky. And I don't say that to take away from everything that the Lioness did during the course of her career. Of course, if you've followed me, you know I have a great deal of respect and admiration for Amanda Nunez. However, that title wasn't defended nearly as much, nearly as frequently as her bantamweight title or as Shevchenko's flyweight belt or some of the others that are ahead of her in that uh, length of time, in that reign, sort of tenure rankings. The the other part of this, excuse me, as I stumble a little bit, because I'm thinking about just 1,500 plus days, it's just ridiculous. It's just insane. She won that belt in 2018 at UFC 231. We just had UFC 293. Like this is, this is crazy. The other part of it that makes it an absolutely must immediate rematch is that after losing the first round, Valentina Shevchenko came out, won the second, won the third. Again, not debated, not questioned, not, this isn't me picking things. Go look at the scorecards. They're available to you. All three judges had the fight 29-28 for Valentina Shevchenko heading into the fourth. And she was winning the fourth round up until she throws that spinning back kick late in the fourth round, just before the four minute mark of the fourth round. She's popping Alexa Grasso with the jab. She's working in space. She's doing things well. She's getting out of the way. There's a sequence right before the kick happens where Shevchenko sticks a jab and Grasso comes forward and she sticks another one and Grasso swings with the right hand and Shevchenko is out of the way. And it just feels like that moment. And I remember watching it and tweeting about it. And I think probably talking to Harry about it on WhatsApp and being like, this is just classic Val. She's just doing the things that she does well in these close competitive fights. It's not that she was dominating and Alexa Grasso had no, no business being in there, but it was clearly a fight that Valentina Shevchenko was winning until she throws that back kick. And I tell you what, Alexa Grasso turning that fight around in under 45 seconds taking the back, dragging her to the ground, getting that choke, getting that neck crank, getting that almost jaw compression, mandible choke, I think is what Harry would call it. It's just a beautiful thing and it's a wonderful moment and it's the reason that we do this again. It's not to question whether it was a fluke or not. It's not to give Shevchenko the opportunity to get right back because she's the person that we want at the top of the 
the flyweight division. It's because all of that in its entirety, she reigned over that division. Seven, eight successful consecutive championship defenses. Reigned over that division for 1,500 plus days and was winning that fight. And so you sort of look at it and we've seen this history over the years, right? 14 times, 15 times this has happened in UFC history. This is the 15th time. Long reigning champions get immediate rematches. Now, in terms of history, it hasn't quite worked out for long reigning champions. Overall, we'll get to that. I've got a piece coming out tomorrow on OSDB Sports touching on that, that situation and those records. But we'll get to that. But this is this is what we're supposed to do. And this one feels different, right? You look at some of these other championship rematches, ones like this. The ones where you say, yeah, absolutely, we got to do this again, feels different. I would argue it feels even different than Amanda Nunes running it back with Juliana Pena because that one felt like something weird happened in the world and Amanda Nunes lost the belt. And I say that with all due respect to Juliana Pena, who walked out and did exactly what she said she was going to do. This one doesn't feel like that. Alexa Grasso won the first round. And as Elliot Marshall and I discussed on the coach conversation this week on UFC.com, she was in that fight the whole way. She stood in there. She stuck in there. At no point did she want to be out of there. And when the moment presented itself, she capitalized fully. And so we run it back on Saturday. Main event, Grasso Shevchenko 2. I cannot wait. I am so fired up for this fight. I'm so fascinated by it. Let's Saturday needs to get here now. Saturday needs to be here now. I need this main event in my life quickly. Item number two, Alexa Grasso's big moment. This feels like such a interesting time for the Mexican champion. A lot of, I mean, this, this year has just, and I've been thinking about this a lot. I've been thinking about this a great deal. Elliot and I talked about it as part of the coach conversation as well. A lot of this year has been focused on and discussing the rise of these Mexican champions in the UFC. Year started with Brandon Moreno claiming the flyweight title for a second time in Brazil. Alexa Grasso got hurt. Sorry, Yair Rodriguez won the featherweight interim title at UFC 284. Alexa Grasso won her title. We had three Mexican champions in three consecutive pay-per-view events. Irene Aldana fought for the title out here in Vancouver at UFC 289. It felt like a big rise, a big moment. Like we were seeing this sea change almost. Like all these years of us talking about there's going to come this wave of Mexican talents that get here because there has been investment, because there has been a clear passion and love for this sport over the last bunch of years. It is coming and it felt like it is here. Now, Brandon Moreno lost his title. Yair Rodriguez fell short in his bid to unify the featherweight titles. And Irene Aldana came up short in her quest to claim the bantamweight title. And it leaves us with Alexa Grasso standing as the lone remaining champion. But she feels like the one, and I, I say this with all due respect to those other athletes. She feels like the one that may be able to keep doing this. She feels like the one that may be able to take this and run with it and it not be a, she held the belt for a moment in time and then it went back to Valentina Shevchenko. One of the things I said in talking with Elliot in terms of 
the best traits of Grosso. And I don't think it's the best trait, but I think it's the best thing that ever happened to her was losing it at straw weight was struggling at straw weight. She lost her second fight. And we all remember the GIF. It is now a thing that we can pull up on Twitter as a, as a, as a use for, for surprise of Alexa Grosso being like shocked when she lost her sophomore appearance to Felice Herrick. She struggled at straw weight. There were losses in there. She missed weight a couple of times. There were fights that were canceled. She was ostensibly forced to move up to the flyweight division. It's been perfect since. She's been perfect since. And all the things that she always did well as a young fighter that was positioned for greatness, that was tagged for greatness and championship contention, she's continued to build upon. She's continued to hone and refine and build on. And I think the struggles at 115 have made her that much more resilient and that much more tougher. She has come up to 125, bringing those sound fundamentals, bringing good cardio, good grappling, toughness, grit, a willingness to be in there and just get in there and fight. And I think it all creates an opportunity on Saturday for her to have a real moment whether it's fair or not, there are going to be people and there are people that rightfully wonder if what happened in March was a fluke and not in the sense of there's no way Alexa Grasso could beat Valentina Shevchenko, but just that it's one of those cosmic events, right? All the things align properly for her to win that fight. Saturday is the opportunity for her to come out and say, That wasn't karma. That wasn't the universe just getting aligned. That was me taking full advantage of an opportunity that we worked on, that we drilled over and over again. And yes, I was losing that fight, but I was in there. I was right. I was still focused. I was still locked in. And when she threw that kick, I took advantage. And you see it. Go and watch it back. As soon as Val spins, Grasso is out of the way and on her back like that. And on that choke. And Shevchenko truthfully doesn't really defend. It's almost like she had a moment where she was like, I don't know what to do here. I'm stuck. This is, this is surprising to me. I haven't been in this position. And I think there is a little bit of Saturday and I would love somebody to have asked Alexa Grasso. And I haven't watched any of the stuff yet this week. I've been doing other things, dealing with some other stuff. I hope somebody asked her about this. Right? Does this feel like a moment for you of kind of solidifying things and showing people that UFC 285 wasn't the stars aligning and me just taking advantage of a mistake? That was me taking advantage of something we drilled. And I'm going to show you on Saturday that I am the best fighter in the flyweight division. Cannot wait. Item number three, questions about Val will be answered. This is the big thing for me, right? Yesterday, one question all centered around what did that fight tell us about Valentina Shevchenko? What did it kind of highlight and open up and show us about who she is now, where she could go in the future? We're going to find out on Saturday. And this is like, you can hear it in my voice. You can see it if you're watching on the YouTube feed. I am fired up because this is the stuff that I adore. At every level, I want questions answered, whether it's the first fight of the night or the main event with a championship belt on the line, answering questions and getting information 
from fights is what I live for. It's what gives me life. And we are going to find out on Saturday, one of the best female, about whether one of the best female talents and talents full stop in UFC history is still championship level. That's what's on the line here. That's what we're going to find out in terms of how this fight plays out. I really truly believe that if Alexa Grasso wins this fight on Saturday, we're probably going to have to acknowledge that the best days of Valentina Shevchenko are behind her because this would be three straight fights where she's lost or struggled, right? Going back to the Tyler Santos fight at UFC 275. If she comes out and reclaims the title one way or the other, no matter how she does, then obviously she's still in that championship form. She's still got something left to offer at the very upper echelon of this division, which makes things absolutely amazing going forward, given the wealth of talent in this division and the number of fighters coming up behind Grosso and Valentina Shevchenko right now. I am going to sit down on Monday's podcast and break down this whole division in terms of matchmaking, as promised, once we get a result. But part of what is going to dictate that matchmaking is what we find out about Valentina Shevchenko. What answers we get to those questions about where she stands, where her mind's at, what she's capable of at this level. She has been at this level from the time she walked into the UFC. It is staggering to me that we don't celebrate this stuff enough. She walked in and beat Sarah Kaufman on short notice on one of the best cards in UFC history, as it turns out in terms of the amount of talent and future champions that were on that card on the prelims. Four of them, Shevchenko, Charles Oliveira, Kamaru Usman, and some guy named Francis Ngannou in the absolute opener. Just a bonkers fight card in Orlando, Florida. And she has been ranked and beating elite competition, save for Priscilla Cachuera, from that point forward. And it's been eight years, nine years. That's insane. It's amazing. And we're going to find out on Saturday if there's going to be more of those years where she's facing and beating elite competition and reigning over this division. God, I can't wait for this fight. Item number four, Kevin Holland's fighting Jack Della Maddalena. I don't, I don't feel like I need to say more than that. I will because it's weird if I just say Kevin Holland is fighting Jack Della Maddalena and don't give you a little bit more detail. But like, these are the kinds of fights that I live for, man. These are the kinds of fights that just, I'm going to wake up on Saturday morning with a smile on my face because this fight is happening. Because the final two fights of this card are Kevin Holland and Jack Della Maddalena and then Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. For all of the years of frustration that I have expressed about Kevin Holland, feels like he's coming around a little bit. Feels like he's starting to take it a little bit more seriously and get a little bit more focused. And I dig that. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see it against a guy like Della. Because Della is one of those fighters that five fights into the UFC run, he's 5-0. and oh, Four first round finishes against good competition. Looks really good. Loves to fight. Just genuinely loves to fight. Loves to compete. As does Holland. These two dudes are going to go out there on Saturday and just get after it. And no matter where it goes, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be competitive, I believe. And if it's not, if it is one-sided in either direction or in one 
realm or another. Those things are all super instructive and super important to learn and to take away from this fight. And so we've got two guys that are ranked in the lower third of the top 15 right now. I believe Holland is 13, Della is 14. But there's a bunch of guys in the top 10 that not are ripe for the picking, but are kind of crouching on their spots right now. That are kind of just, you know, looking around, making sure nobody's coming and nobody sees that they haven't been necessarily facing the best competition or defending their place in line quite frequently. Or as Kevin Holland and I talked about on a story that is up now on UFC.com, three of them are from the same gym and therefore not going to fight each other. So the winner of this one could certainly face one of them, whether it's Vicente Luque, Ian Machado Gary, or Gilbert Burns. This is a fascinating fight that has immediate impact on the welterweight division, which is due for a shakeup. At some point, we are going to get an announcement that Leon Edwards is defending his title again. I hope we get that soon, whether it takes place in Abu Dhabi, whether it takes place in New York City, or it takes place in Las Vegas in December. We need to get that one out of the way. And if it's Colby Covington, I dislike it, but let's get it moving because these boys are coming. They want to stay active. And this fight is going to be amazing. And so let's go. Let's get it rolling. This feels like a fight that continues this division moving, right? Ian Machado Gary had his win. That's a good win. That kind of kicked off this little wave of welterweight fights that are coming. We lost one in Shavkat Rachmanov versus Kelvin Gastelum. Hopefully we get Shavkat rebooked and, and back out there again soon. But let's get this moving. These guys want to fight. It's going to be a competitive, entertaining clash on Saturday in the co-main event. I'm here for it. All the way here for it. Item number five. The right call for Raul Rosas Jr. I don't particularly like this fight with Terrence Mitchell, but it is absolutely 100% the right way to book this young man. He got big brothered last time out by Christian Rodriguez. He got dominated. It's just, it happens, right? There are times in this sport that you go out and you're just not, you're just not able, you're just not ready. Really, truthfully, you're not skilled enough. You don't have the weaponry. You don't have the tools and the talent and the abilities yet to hang with some of these people. He's 18 years old. He turns 19 early next month. There is no reason to run this young man out there into another fight where he may catch a loss and you start breaking his spirit a little bit, right? That's the thing you got to worry about. We talk about this a little bit in stick and ball sports of like, at what point do you manage the confidence of a high draft pick or of a young player that is struggling on the field? At some point you have to make that decision because when it's always going bad, you just feel like it's a wave, right? And it just, you can't get out from under it. We've seen that in the fight game many times over, right? I feel like Sage Northcutt, part of his struggles was that he just kept getting into these fights where he was pushed and he was the guy and he was getting all this attention, but he just wasn't ready for this stuff. He just wasn't there. Chase Hooper a little bit as well. He's coming off a win and he's got a fight coming up, but like just wasn't ready. Alex Caceres in his second fight, the reset needed to be, he got the reset, but even that was a struggle. And then he lost the fight after that. And it just like, this is the right decision. This is the right call. I know people won't like it. Now, personally, this feels like a fight that otherwise, if it weren't Noche UFC, would not be and should not be on the main card. 
because this is a one and one in the UFC 18 year old taking on an zero and one in the UFC 33 year old who got waxed last time out and quite frankly is probably going to get waxed on Saturday as well. But this is the right decision. I understand that people will object to more or less stage managing Rosas Jr.'s career at this point. But this is what you're this is what you're supposed to do, right? We see Bellator do this all the time with young prospects. Now they screw it up every once in a while with a guy like Aaron Pico. But for the most part, that wave of NCAA champions and NCAA wrestlers that came over, they all got brought along slowly and they managed those fights and they managed those expectations and let them get some experience. And if they struggled, they pulled them all the way back. This is the right thing to do. It is the right call. I want to see, as I talked about yesterday, what that loss taught him, what he learned, what he improved. We see a little bit of growth. We see a little more patience, but this is the right decision. And I got to give it up to the UFC for making the right choice. Item number six, key fights for talented youngsters. Daniel Zell Huber versus Christos Yagos. Fernando Padilla versus Kyle Nelson. Two fights, lightweight and featherweight respectively, where young fighters coming off good wins are now facing veteran tests. This is, again, has been the theme. It is always the theme of 10 things. This is what I want to see. These are the things we need to do in order to learn information, in order to make reads, gather data, and understand who these athletes are, where they are at in their development, their progression, what they're ready for. Now, what they might be able to reach two, three years down the road and beyond. Zell Huber struggle, struggled excuse me, in his debut and looked great last time out against Lando Venata. Padilla didn't fight for two years, waltzed into the octagon, and knocked out Julian Arosa. That's a very good win for your debut. So now we get follow-up performances, and we get a chance to see them against experienced fighters that have had success in the UFC, that are on a little bit of winning streaks, right? Christos Yagos won two straight. Kyle Nelson unbeaten in his last two, coming off a win out here in Vancouver. It's a little small. It's a proper incremental step up for each of these young men. And we get to find out on Saturday just what more we can learn about them right now. Find Just, just see a little more. See what else is there. We're scratching the surface so far. Let's see what else is here. This is the right way to do this. This is the right kind of booking. I'm glad they're getting main card showcase. I'm glad they're getting main card opportunities. There is one fight on the prelims that I wish was on the main card. We will talk about that shortly. But this is the right way to do this with these two. Get them in there against good veteran opponents and see where we're at. Just find out. Love this stuff. Absolutely love this stuff. Item number seven, another look at Lupi Godinez. So part of the reason I am fascinated by Lupi Godinez's fight with Elise Reed on Saturday is that she has spent the entirety of her training camp at the Lobo Gym alongside Alexa Grasso. And I want to see what that does for her. Working with that crew that, yes, Irene Aldana struggled. But Diego Lopez has looked fantastic in two fights. And Alexa Grasso, arguably, delivered the upset of the year in, in March, in winning the title. And so now you take someone like Godinez, who has tremendous foundations, excellent grappler, tons of strength, 
gritty, tough, tenacious, likes to get in there, doesn't mind bleeding a little bit, doesn't mind getting punched. Working on the striking, developing the striking, but this is a good place for her to be to develop that striking, right? You look at Alexa Grasso, it is clean fundamentals. It is straight punches. It's a good jab. It's clean one-twos. You bolt that on to Lupe Godinez and you might have a future contender in the strawweight division. I understand that she is in her 30s already. And so that window is a little bit not as wide as it would be if she were 27 or 28 maybe. But she's still relatively young to the game. And I don't think that there is significant mileage there that is going to limit her in the way it would if she had started her MMA career at 21 or 22, and now we're 10 years in, and she's been through 15, 18, 20, 30 fights. This is a very winnable fight for her against Elise Reed. As I said yesterday, I think there is a clear path in the grappling department, but I just want to see what she looks like after a full camp down there with that team. It is a very good team. And take nothing away from the folks she trained with out here at Titan MMA for a long, long time. They got her to this point. Now she's done the right thing, in my opinion. And again, that is not a knock on the Titan crew. But she has gone to work with a world champion and a team that has cultivated a world champion in the UFC or a UFC champion, I should say. We don't actually have world champions. And I want to see what she looks like. I've been thoroughly impressed so far. Like I said yesterday, wins in four of her last five. The only loss is Angie Hill. It's a reasonable loss for a young, developing, emerging fighter. So let's see what we get. Item number eight, more potential Roman Kopilov violence. Three straight fights, three straight finishes. He's throwing head kicks. He's throwing body kicks. He's throwing body shots. I'm in. Middleweight Chase Hooper, Russian middleweight Chase Hooper is somebody I'm just in on right now. I, as I said yesterday, like kind of caught me off guard, kind of caught me out last year when he beat Alessio DeKirico, kind of surprised the hell out of me. When he ran through Punahele Soriano earlier this year, I wasn't as surprised when he beat Claudio Hibero earlier this year in, in his second fight this year, but there were some dense moments and he had to rally back and he did head kicking him into oblivion in Salt Lake city. I'm just here for this guy right now. Not even from a, could he become a contender at middleweight? Because I don't really care. And I'm not thinking that far ahead. You want to give me a dude that goes out there and mixes it up on the prelims on a Saturday afternoon. Sign me up. I'm here. I'm in. It's as simple as that. This matchup with Josh Fremd, I think, is one where we're going to see some things where we may see his takedown defense tested. We may see his grappling tested. We may be forced to see whether he can really dictate and manage that range and use long-range weapons to keep Josh Fremd on the outside and in those positions where he can unload kicks and land power shots. But Roman Kabilov has looked really good through his last three fights. And so if you want to serve me up another helping of Roman Kopila violence, yes, please bring it. Item number nine, Tracy Cortez is fighting Jasmine Jazdavisius. This is the fight that I mentioned earlier that I, I wish were on the main card because I think it is important enough in this division where the title is on the line in the main event to merit that main card placement so that we can talk about it in those terms, right? And I'm sure they will. I'm sure the broadcast team will speak about Tracy Cortez being ranked in the top 15, Jasmine Jazdavisius having been there earlier, getting bumped out because of just some machinations recently with Natalia Silva and Karine Silva getting 
additional victories. But this is an important fight. This is one that's going to tell us a great deal about each of these women at this moment. Tracy Cortez is undefeated in the UFC, won four straight, beat Maria Agapova to get her shot into the UFC, has a win over Aaron Blanchfield, who has subsequently gone on to be a number one contender in this division. Jazz has looked good, two wins this year. Good win in Vancouver against Miranda Maverick. Only loss in the UFC is to Natalia Silva, who I mentioned earlier. So that's one that certainly has aged well, and you don't hold against her at this point, maybe the same way we thought when that when that loss happened. This is an important fight. This is a critical fight. I am so locked in on this fight. I cannot wait for this one. I want to see how Jazz Davisius does against another wrestler. I want to see how Cortez does against another wrestler. This is going to be, to me, I will, I will preface it this way. This could be a grimy, grinding fight against the cage where these two women are pummeling for underhooks and switching back and forth, who's on the fence, who's off the fence, and folks get a little bit impatient and the woos start and the boos start and we're calling for breakups and separations and things like that. It could also be a chance to see how each of them do off their back. How do they do when their shoulders are on the canvas? Can either of them get back up to their feet, create scramble opportunities, wrestle well, land damage off of their back, attack submissions off of their back? Because both are looking to grapple. Now, they're certainly each working on their hands, developing their hands, but this is two wrestlers facing each other. So let's just see. This is almost like there can only be one of us that goes forward that has this skill set in this weight class. And so let's just see. Love this fight. Wish it were on the main card. Totally understand why it, I mean, I shouldn't say I totally understand why it's not. I think you should put Tracy Cortez ahead of Raul Rojas Jr. or Daniel Zell Huber or Fernando Padilla. Fine. We didn't. We get him. We still get them nonetheless. It's still a great fight. Pay attention. Tune in early. Enjoy it. I will. You should as well. Item number 10. The chief petty officer moment here. And I'm this one's this one's personal for me. Because as much as I try to take the high road as often as humanly possible, I kind of really like the thing I talked about yesterday with Josephine Knutson of can she go out, put it on Marnik Man, and then have a little moment where she just looks over to Dana White at the side of the octagon and says, Are you impressed now? How about now? Because you weren't impressed three or four weeks ago on the Contender Series when I put it on Isis Verbeek. And you weren't impressed after my win on Road to UFC last year in Singapore. But here I am now, winning in the octagon, potentially smashing through a fellow newcomer, somebody that got knocked out in the second round of her fight, her appearance, excuse me, on the Contender Series last year. Are you entertained? Are you impressed? Did I show you the it? Because that was the knock, right? I just wasn't, I just wasn't sold. She didn't make me say yes. Well, she's here now because she said yes when you called for a short notice opportunity. And the petty side of me kind of just wants to see Josephine Knutson say, Well, I'm here now and I'm one and oh in the UFC. Are you impressed? Are you entertained? We good now? I don't know that it will happen because I would and I would have I would advise against it. It's not the best look. It's not the right thing to do from a professional career perspective is to go out there and be petty towards your boss. 
Still wouldn't mind seeing if it happens. That's it for the program. Those are the 10 things. I am E. Spencer Kite. This is Keyboard Kimura presented to you by One Bone. Follow them at One Bone Brand on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me at Spencer Kite. Sign up for the Substack. Sign up for the YouTube. We love you. We appreciate you. We will see you tomorrow for the picks and plays. Note J UFC is on its way and I can't wait.